Kate and Jim decided they should entertain the crowd since the throng of people seemed to be expecting something. Getting on her horse made Kate more at ease. She and Jim trotted out onto the street where people cheered and applauded at the very sight of them and it made the horses move sideways and whinny. People moved quickly to make a large circle on the street where the Kellys could parade their horses. Kate moved her horse slowly around the edge of the ring, smiling as they sang out for her attention. Miss Kelly, Miss Kelly, over here. She snuck a little wave to the voices calling from different directions as she pulled her riding gloves on. Even well-to-do society players were vying for a taste of one of Kate's smiles. Holy snakes, a gentleman exclaimed after a couple of glances from the talented artist upon her horse. Jim was less inclined to enjoy the attention, but he truly admired his sister and her skills. Miss Kelly, Miss Kelly, people called to her with their hands outstretched. Brother and sister met each other in the middle of the ring and manoeuvred their horses so they faced one another and began a short routine. The entertaining game involved Kate trying to pass her brother to the other side of the ring. Beautifully poised, Kate grabbed the reins and shimmied with Oliver Twist from left to right, while her brother, also comfortable in the saddle, mirrored her moves. The crowd loved the tension of their quick moves and cheered loudly when Kate passed her brother smiling. The pair circled back to the middle while the crowd yelled out for more and the Kellys repeated their routine again. It had been a long enough day for them both and, feeling weary, Kate signalled Jim, who rode towards her, slid off his saddle and held out his hand for her as she dismounted and bowed to the crowd. She was lifted by a sea of cheering and applause. Jim took the horses and walked with Kate as she worked her way around the ring and they edged back towards the hotel, hoping that people would be satisfied and leave them alone. Jim was a modest man, but the city crowds loved the idea of this rugged bushman and they watched him as he took the horses to the stables round the back. The impromptu performance was a great success and Pringle was very excited about what was to come. Donovan reminded the crowd about the show the following night and Pringle left filled with excitement about the venture. This is going to be remarkable, Miss Kelly. You're so popular. And with that, Donovan was gone again. High on the thought of coming riches, he waded out into the Sydney nightlife, keen to see what the city had to offer him, oblivious to the warnings Kate and Jim had received from the law. Welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. Good Reading is a monthly magazine dedicated to books and reading and aims to help readers discover their next favourite book. You can find out more about the books discussed on today's podcast at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Magazine podcast. My name's Greg Dobbs. Today I'm talking to Rebecca Wilson about her new book, Kate Kelly, The True Story of Ned Kelly's Little Sister. Rebecca Wilson grew up in Forbes, New South Wales, where Kate Kelly lived in the last years of her life. Rebecca has been hearing local stories about Kate Kelly all her life and has been researching, painting and writing about Kate's story. Rebecca, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you, Greg. It's really lovely to be here. We all know about Ned Kelly, Dan Kelly, the Kelly gang as a whole, but what part did Kate Kelly play in the Ned Kelly gang? Kate was a, a teenage girl at the time that the Kelly gang were on the run and 
she played an enormous role really um and i'd say it was i view it as really a family affair and i think the um, irish heritage has a lot to do with that so kate was riding as a decoy to fool the police she was also delivering messages and supplies and in the media she was attributed as um assisting the gang's longevity you know in in avoiding capture she was doing trips down to melbourne with her sister and other sympathisers. They were buying ammunition and doing other deals. And um, it was reported in the press many, many times that she continued to give the police the slip. I love that term. I think it's great. And then her brother, Jim, who was, you know, another loyal brother, probably about 1911, he was interviewed by um, B.W. Cookson for the Sun-Herald. And, and there's this beautiful quote where he says, she fooled the police time and time again and they thought they were dealing with a girl but they drove the girlishness out of her and they had to deal with a woman not not a girl who knew the bush and loved her brothers and I think it really says a lot about the skill the loyalty the tenacity that she showed because she was able to use her incredible horse skills to assist her brothers and that meant riding through the bush um, losing the police it's extraordinary she was a teenage girl so where did your interest in Kate Kelly begin? Look, I knew about her as a kid, but that didn't really mean much to me, to be honest. Um, and it wasn't until about 2010 when I was at a lunch and um, someone discovered that I was from Forbes originally and, and said, oh, do you know about Kate Kelly? And and they actually knew a lot more stories than I did at that point. And I was absolutely captivated and instantly I just thought I want to paint her story because primarily I'm a visual artist, you know. And so the the snippets that I'd just been told at that lunch, you know, were alive in my mind. Um, and so I thought, why don't I know about Kate? Who are you? What did you do? What must it have been like to experience this kind of life? There were so many aspects to her story that really pulled me in. And I just, I found her really, really hard to get a handle on because she didn't diarise. Um, she wasn't important enough to be written about much in her later life. And so if it, if it wasn't the press's obsession with her, you know, during that period of time in her younger years, we'd know even less. And I do suspect that actually her sister Maggie would have been equally as involved, but she just was more under the radar. You know, the press really held on to Kate. And these stories, of course, take a great deal of research. And as you say, there wasn't necessarily very much written about Kate herself. So in a broader sense, what were your sources for this story? Mm, I think that was what held my attention for so long too, Greg, because I had to look everywhere. I went to every place I could think of that was related to her story in any way, shape or form. I, I spent, you know, many, many hours looking through the fantastic resource of Trove and going through just probably thousands of, of newspaper articles, um, but talking to people and um, going to any little museums, family history groups, um, looking at state archives. Um, Ancestry.com is a great resource because other people are doing family trees and sometimes documents can come forward from there. Um, and then you've got your, you know, births, deaths and marriages and your um, state records in Victoria and, you know, oh, the Royal Commission, um, into the Victorian police, you know, you, I would just look at everything and and even things that you wouldn't think necessarily were related to the Kelly story. So, for example, I had questions about what happened to Kate when she died and um, 
I knew that there was a drought for a long period of time. So if she drowned, how could she drown when there's a drought and there's hardly any water? So I was looking at any articles about the, the climate and rain events and that sort of thing. I came across this amazing little article um, about some big rains that had come through before she died that year. And because the drought had been so extreme, they reported all these fish kills. But anyway, I just thought how extraordinary, you know, and they were talking about all these dead animals being flushed through the river system and the town townspeople in Forbes couldn't use the water because it just stunk so badly. Yeah, just, you know what, I was just looking anywhere I could. And then I, I came across Rob Willis, who has this amazing, I think it's Australia's largest collection of folklore recordings for the National Library. And, um, and he'd been doing a bit of Kate research too, and he'd found... Um, the Bohemian doctor that had come to Forbes um, just before Kate died and finding those advertisements and some articles was like, aha, you know, we've got it. We know it really happened. And uh, so Rob was a fantastic resource, but he'd also interviewed some neighbours um, of uh, Bricky Foster and... Um, Bricky Foster so, being... Sorry, yes, Kate's husband. Yeah, sorry. It's like, I know all these characters. Why doesn't everybody else... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to know them. There was really great information in there. So the stammer that Bricky had really helped me bring Bricky to life as a character and the way he dressed, some of the stories about um, his rough and tumble physicality, you know, a particular way he wore his hat. There were lots of letters that actually Kate's brother-in-law, Bricky's brother, had written um, through the early 1900s. He was quite infatuated with Kate as well. So you know what, it's just been this treasure hunt. I feel like it's a treasure hunt. And I was just so determined to find answers. I really wanted to know more about who Kate was, what is the truth, um, what um, what must it have been like? Because I really wanted to feel, what, try and feel what it must have been like to experience such an action-packed short life with a lot of hardship and trauma and a lot of social judgment um, and to try and take the reader on that journey too. Uh, apparently Kate Kelly changed her name later in her life and she became Mrs. Ada Foster. How and why did she change her name? It sounds almost like an identity change. Um, a lot of people in that period of time, it was really easy to change your name if you wanted to start again, if you were wanted or if you, you know, had a past you wanted to escape. Um, I found lots of cases of that through the newspapers and different records but um so Kate was really incredibly famous uh so she was in the press almost as much as her brothers through that 1878 to 1880 period then she toured and became more famous and you know there was more press around that and by 1882 there was a wax effigy of her in the waxworks attractions of Melbourne um so in those days that's kind of the pinnacle uh, of fame, isn't it? And for this semi-educated bush girl to reach that publicity is quite extraordinary. I think what happened is that she really was trying to escape that fame. So um, there was um, a, a wonderful figure called Hugh McDougall, and he grew up in the Benalla region. I suspect he was a sympathiser. Now, he left Victoria in 1881 and he was shearing across New South Wales and doing other sort of farm jobs. And he, he found himself managing Waru Station, which was next to Cadow Station. He ended up sponsoring Kate and getting her a domestic servant job at Cadow Station. 
So in a way, he threw her a lifeline and she was able to start again under a different name. So when she arrived, she was known as Ada Hennessy and no one really knew her past. And um, it sounds like she really wanted it that way. Something that was really interesting, I engaged a women's health expert and um, she explained to me that women who've experienced a lot of trauma in their life um, are more susceptible to postnatal depression. And there is some theories there about um, whether that was an issue for Kate. After her second baby, there was a very big gap before she had another one and local oral history holds that she wasn't really the same after that second child. She had six children, only three survived. Um, so I, I feel like her life probably does really fit that um, the possibility of postnatal depression because there's no doubt it was a traumatic life. I mean, what must, what really, what must it have been like to be a witness at Glen Rowan and see her brothers and, uh, well, at least one brother and their friends gunned down in a warlike scenario and then to fight for her brother and see him hanged and, you know, all that terrible publicity. There was a lot of really, really horrible publicity, a lot of social judgment and shame for her about being associated with this family. But that incredible loss, that's what I was trying to understand a lot too. I thought, how must it have felt to experience all that? We're sentient beings, you know, everything in our life affects who we are. You obviously have enjoyed researching this story and, and you seem to also enjoy a good yarn do you come from a long line of storytellers yourself? I've been surrounded all my life by interesting people growing up in the country. It's very much about people. It's about communicating and oral history and telling stories is like, it's one of our oldest forms of communication, isn't it? What, what astounded me too was how much truth does often remain in folklore. You might hear something and think, oh, that sounds a bit far-fetched, but eventually... There is, there's nuggets of truth in there quite frequently. So they might have got certain details might be wrong, but like the crux of the story is often pretty bang on. And Hill End, where I live now, is just steeped in history. Yeah, and I go looking for it too. I, I, you know, I'm interested in, in people. And I guess uh, all of these stories are all awaiting someone like Rebecca Wilson to come along and fill in the gaps. <laughs> You actually express a, a lot of Kate Kelly's character or her, her looks, at least, in, in your visual art. How does your writing inform your visual art? Or, or conversely, how does your visual art inform your writing? Well, particularly with Kate, it's been inseparable, really, uh, you know, because the, the painting um, really did lead to the writing. So because I wanted to paint her story, I had to do a lot of research once you get going on that it's never ending um if you're interested in your subject you know so I was always digging around and painting and then digging around a bit more and then traveling those exhibitions people would bring me stories too which was really interesting so because I traveled it across New South Wales into Victoria and took some pieces to London and um and gave a talk over there as well and I would give talks wherever I went um and that was fascinating too, how that would, you know, people would come and see the story. Um, I say see the story. So like seeing these images and I would do little story cards next to that to sort of feed into that. Um, they would give me information. Um, that work would evolve as the stories evolved. And I had always had it in my mind that I wanted to write her biography and write her story. And it started with kind of a picture book because I had all this 
you know, all these uh, images. Uh, but then I got really sick and, um, and each time I thought I was getting better, something else would go wrong. So I had this period of time where I didn't have the stamina or the health to stand up in the studio. And um, that provided me the opportunity. I thought, great, okay, I have to, I've got all this research. Now is my opportunity to really compile that and try to write. We can't really avoid the idea that the Kelly gang are an iconic part of Australian history and culture. Mm. Does Kate Kelly deserve the same status, do you think? And, and should we be remembering her in our collective consciousness in the same way that we remember the Ned Kelly gang? Part of my ambition of telling Kate's story is because I really do want everyone to know her story. I do want people to know about her because she did play an important role in that chapter of our history and recognising that a lot of women's stories have disappeared over time. And, you know, I was really trying to connect with the humanness because that's important. All judgments aside, and I'm not trying to justify anything, but I am trying to understand why people do things. We all have reasons for what we do. And because of her role in the Kelly Gang, but also the way it affected the rest of her life, it should be remembered because it did have this ongoing effect on her. And she represents a lot of women who haven't had a voice in the past and and for us to recognise ourselves in those characters too. So, you know, she had this extraordinary loss and trauma, but then she kept going. So there's it's strangely inspiring. And even though she was vilified in the press um, and then she tried to escape, she was just, you know, one of us trying to muddle her way through life. But but she's connected to a significant family and she did quite astonishing things. Um, you know, and that reputation that she had for being a wonderful horsewoman stayed with her her whole life. Um, and that takes intelligence, athleticism and great skill. So regardless of whether people, you know, are pro or against the Kellys, because I know it's such a, oh gosh, it's such a dividing story. Well, well, for some people, the Obviously, the Kelly gang as a whole, some regard them as criminals, others as folk heroes. But mm. very much mm. this story, it's very much an untold story and it really fills in a missing chapter in Australian history. So, Rebecca Wilson, thank you very much for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. Oh, thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure. I've been talking to Rebecca Wilson about her new book, Kate Kelly, The True Story of Ned Kelly's Little Sister. It's published by Alan and Unwin and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au and all good bookstores. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening.